0: Please.
1: I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and the Mothership trumpeter Michael Ray, best known since 1978 as a member of legendary jazz futurist Sun Ra's group, known as Orchestra, and for his longtime association with Cool in the Gang. In addition, he leads his own band called Cosmic Crew, and over the course of several decades has contributed his horn playing to artists that include Patti LaBelle, the Delphonics, Stylistics, Clear, Instant Funk, Jimmy Cliff. Stanton Moore Aquarium Rescue Unit, Widespread Panic, Deep Banana Blackout, Meditsky, Martin, and Wood, Porno for Pyro Bare Naked Ladies, and you too. Thank you for being here, Michael. How are you? I'm well. Where are you talking to me from today?
0: I'm home at in Trent, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, I, I moved and- I moved back here, you know, basically because of my mother. Then she passed two years ago,
1: and yeah, it's it's something. Well, and that's where you're from originally, right? Correct. Yeah. So, where had you moved to? Where'd you come back from?
0: Oh, I've lived in Berlin. I've I've lived in Philadelphia for quite some time, and yeah, I moved out to Kansas City for a minute. it's just globetrotting because my job just takes me all around the world anyway.
1: So, right.
0: but, but I came back to Jersey. I bought a, well, I rented a house right around the corner from my mother's. And then she said, well, the house is just too much for me. I'm just going to want to move into a, a one-bedroom apartment. And she said, I want you to move back into the house. But she only took enough stuff for a one-bedroom apartment. So the attic was filled, the basement was filled, you know, closets filled. And, you know, and then I, the first day there, the hot water heater blew in the basement and it had all this hot water running. So I had to knock out walls and it was quite a thing. But when I found a journal that she had written, you know, because my mother basically took care of me and my brother, you know, so. Yeah, it was very honorable. So,
1: Well, you know, I know it's been a couple of years, but still my sympathies. I know it's uh, difficult. I uh, lost my dad a uh, f- years back and mom before that, so it's never easy to deal with for sure. But um, was, was she musical at all? Is your brother musical? Is there music in the household?
0: No, it's basically my brother. You know, back when they had instruments in school, my brother wanted a clarinet and I wanted a trumpet because I have a cousin, Arthur Brooks, that played with a group called Brute Force. He was a teacher in the college of hypnosis, about a brain fart now, but he started me playing. He said, you got to try to play one note like you love it. And I was able to produce the sound. So I asked my parents for a trumpet. Back then, you had yeah, music program in schools and I started that way. And uh I tell you the first time I hit a triple C I practicing in the bathroom and passed out and woke up with a big smile on my face, looking up at the toilet. <laughs> so it's a whole
1: how old were you when that happened?
0: I can't maybe shoot out 17, 15 it's a blur. But uh, I've been working since then with uh, a lot of groups in Trenton and with Instant Funk. And I, went, I left town playing with Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells. That's when their hit was uh, I Sold My Heart to the Jumpman. And we do a lot of slide stuff. And They hooked up with uh, Vicky Wickham, who was a manager from England that managed the hoop. And they said, well, y'all should come to England with us to get some new material. So they left the band in New York, and uh, they went to England. The next thing I heard was Voodoo Voo Couchet moi So we ended up going out to, to a, a show called a calibration work in San Francisco, where they would tune your radio into a certain frequency, and you get stereo. Quadraphonic sound with a was it quick quick messengers light services. So we did that, and then just doing a musician thing, you know. Came back to Philadelphia, and I was playing with four or five different groups. One notably was the Thomas Buck Nasty Band. It's first time I experienced a wall of sound. And I was played with a big John Menace, Big Bone Band. And then we had a show in Vernon Park in Germantown that Sunra was on the show. And they had every musician had these briefcases filled with music that they keep under the stand. And fire eaters and dancers and it was kind of bizarre, you know. First time I really heard seeing him. So uh, I happened to see him on the trolley. He said, you know, Mr. Rye really enjoyed your show. Yeah, why don't you come over to rehearse? And at that time I was playing with the Delphines. So I missed that. Later on, I seen him and she wanted to come on and rehearsal, Cause they went to Egypt and so anyway, I go over his house. When I walk in Ra's house, there's nothing but milk crates filled with charts and quarter-inch tapes and cassettes and keyboards and Egyptian art. And, you know, funny, I looked in the refrigerator, there was a crate full of music in there. And he told me that I know everything you need to know about music. I said, oh, okay. So you know any standards? So I said, I know a couple. He said, you know Ladybird? I said, yeah. Well, Ladybird has the same changes as half Nelson. So he calls Gilmore downstairs. John, I want you to play half Nelson. Mike, you play Ladybird. So he do that. He said, Mike, you play half Nelson. And uh, John, you play Ladybird. You know, just keeps and he said, okay, let's try it in 5-4. And that's when I said, well, wait a minute. So now we're gonna try it in seven, eight. Now, John, I want you to solo in C-sharp and the tunes in C. They're just creating all this tension. So that went on for hours. And he said, well, come on over tomorrow. So next thing you know, he calls me, said, what you doing? I'm getting ready to go to Chicago. And uh, we played jazz showcase, you know, and, uh, I had another gig with the at the Academy of Music with uh Delphonic, So I couldn't make the last gig. So he tells me, says, well, tie my shoe. And tie a shoe. You got all these dignitaries in the dressing room. So I tie a shoe. And I'm waiting for my money. He's walking around. Because mine has a habit of the last person standing, he's going to be talking about something. So anyway, he flew me home and uh, gave me some extra money. The next time I heard him, he said, what you doing? I'm in uh, Rome. Why don't you come over and do a record date? And that's how my introduction to Sunrise started. It was that's, just
1: uh, as, as uh, eccentric as you might imagine. Oh, yeah, it was like
0: I got the fire when I first got there because it was just me, John Gilmore, Sun Ra, and Luke Bonale doing a quartet thing for Horror Records. And uh, then I learned Sun Ra would wake up at dawn every day. He'd do business. Me and John Gilmore would go rehearse. I played everything I knew. John's still doing long terms in his home. You know, and just the the ferocity of it. Then i come back and Show, and we were, we were cursed until we fell asleep. Then we had a good friends, Alfie. He had actually invented the Walkman and sold the rights to Sony. So mm-hmm. um, so anyway, one thing I did notice that my chops were a lot stronger because he had me, oh no, you over into the human thing, you know. You got to play like this. Try it again. One, two, one, two, three. No, no. Human frailties. Go off there. Learn a Henry Red Allen solo. you learn this? And and so I've had some great musical coaches from Sun Ra, John Gilmore, and now even Marshall Allen. Yeah. So you have to play the unduplicatable, or you can be replaced by a button. Mm-hmm. And that was on for. So I'm getting ready to try to. Put it all down so the chronological well,
1: history. Let me let, let me ask you, Michael. Though um, before you connected with Sunra, who were a couple of your uh, biggest trumpet influences or, or heroes on the instrument?
0: Oh, I've had so many. I mean, John Fattis would be the tribute to uh, Johnny Cole and Henry McMillian, and you know. It's, yeah, he plays for UGO Orchestra, you know, a very savage businessman, you know. But uh, I was brought up on Miles, you know. My father used to listen to all that my favorite things. And I'd be a kid and watching the Christmas lights going and listening to Miles and train. So that left an indelible mark. So um, then actually to play with some of these cats, you know. Even now it's like we had a, Arturo our total sandoval sitting with the again when we played out in Australia. You know, his cat he's like he just plays keyboards like you know, but there's his chops, you know. It's let's see, it's just amazing, you know. Did, so did you- I think. I've been influenced by everybody I listen to, you know. James McDonald, he's bad cat. There's, there's so many bad cats now, you know.
1: At, at, what, at what point did you realize or decide that music was going to be your career?
0: Well, <laughs> I don't even remember. Basically, when you used to feel the joy that you... You partake to other people, to other humans. You know, I mean, from when I first started playing, my first compliment—I used to go out to Cowboy Park and practice, and these winos out there drinking. And this guy said, "Hmm, I don't hear no wrong notes." That was my first compliment. Yeah. So it's like playing with uh, some of the members of MFSB as a kid, I would always like to scream, but Fred, not uh, Wesley, Fred Joyner, trombone player, big session caddy, was playing. He turned around and said, It'd be great if you played that stuff in tune. <laughs> and that was a big wake up call. So, and then my son, he's classically trained, it's, like, it's a big thing, you know. Let me tell you this. He gave me uh, this thing Paganini to practice, uh, multiple pet and And I, I noticed that I'm uh, starting to get it. So I said, Son, you know, it's great that you gave me that my playing is improving. My son says, Well, Dad, you just don't know how bad you sounded. So,
1: How, how old is he now?
0: He's 30 and change, I guess, you know. He's playing. Uh, over, he's one group is playing, it's all classical, you know. It's a you know it, oh, you he's must, a,
1: must be proud of that.
0: Oh yeah, big time. You know, for a young black cat to try to survive the pandemic in New York with no gigs, and he's sticking to it. you know, so that's that's impressive.
1: So you know, um probably favorite sunra album because you know i'm a a funk and funk jazz guy more than a hardcore jazz uh person uh which you were on and you were part of right so yeah what do you what do you remember if anything about that session or that process
0: they had uh constructed a pyramid over the mixing council and Sun Ra said, you can't harness this music. It made the cats take it down. I think that's something we did on Philly Jazz or something. You know. So and then, you know, we, Sun Ra and I have an affinity for recording because we did at variety arts studio in New York about seven albums. And uh. One story was like, as we're doing the mix down, son was sitting in the chair, he fell asleep. So we set the board up. And he said, uh, Sonny, how does that sound? He opens his eyes up, sounds horrible. <laughs> and he went back to sleep. So we do some other things. And he said, Sonny, how does that sound? Oh y'all, over into the human thing. Hand me the phone. So he calls Philadelphia. He tells Pico, he said, "I want you to go in the chaos room and get this a drum. This, uh, like a drum case with filled with cassettes, not cassettes, uh, reel to reels." So he brings them up to the studio. And if you look on, listen to one of his records. I think on Jupiter, it's a slice that we flew in this record. You know, it's really something. You know, Sonia he would when he came to record, he put the in and the out just to get aside. So we'd go all through Europe, check out these different uh, instruments, and uh, and I try to take notes. He said, "Don't do that. I'm creating." You know. Plug this in, because when R.A. Moog gave some of uh, the 2600 ARP, he would put the in and the outs and do this, and he said, oh, I like that. And R.A. Moog, he asked him, well, I've made some modifications. Can you send the instrument back? So I said, uh uh-uh, I got what I want, you know. And even uh, with cooling again, the them, Kalees, he had an ARP 2600 that he gave me. It somehow got lost in the mix when I had to try to get it repaired in New Orleans. But uh, the patch bay is like you got all the plugins, and it's you create your own sound. But now they got touch of a button to synthesize, you know. So,
1: but uh, was was there ever anything that you came up with or or blew out of your horn that uh, Sunron was just like, yeah, let's do that.
0: Oh yeah, well we. One of the first gigs I did with Sun Rod, we played one of the amphitheaters in Italy, and Sun Rod he said, "Mike, you go out there and you got it." And so it's like that's the first time you know, because he would send different instruments out, and and then he would come out like a. So on this particular time, we had about twenty people in the band. It's just me. In this big amphitheater, it seemed like the Colosseum that used to, would kill. And they had a natural echo, so I've had fun, you know. Yeah, it's, and I still enjoy playing with echo. You know. But uh, there were times when somebody, you know, you you would look at him and he'd be, look like a little spirit or. A child or a out or something, you know. And he had this little smile. He was, <laughs> yeah. And to this day, that's some of the stuff that I really miss because all we did was rehearse. You know, you do 12, 15, 18 hours a day for years. You know, but back then I said, well, son, Mom, I'm trying to like, go to the movies. He said, well, perhaps, but you're fighting a battle on this planet. You got to be swinging on your horn. Now, play this. And it was constant. And as we would rehearse, you know, he would, like, sometimes just fall asleep at the keyboard. And you hear, mm, and cats great, and music, try to sneak out the room again. Try it again. So, and, you know, like, when he passed, I that's part of what I really missed, because you know what you're going to be doing on the he put on a pot of moon stew, which is like an African spicy vegetable soup. And you smell that while we're rehearsing, you think, Mike, go back and put some kale in the soup. And you put this, put some okra in it, you know. So after five or six hours, you're smelling this stuff. You gotta stay till the soup's ready, you know, rehearsal's over. And then someone would come to rehearsal late. So oh, now I got to change the arrangement. Because I got to tell and make this to the spirit. So now a lot yeah. of the energy that that sunlight is rehearsal. Yeah.
1: Did, did he ever um, spend much time listening to any other artists, or was he just always so immersed in his thing?
0: He was always creating. I know he had a conversation with with Miles Davis' brother some time back in. Even his brother was trying to get into looking at this the sunrise, So nobody's playing all that stuff. Even with Wenton. You know, I had a conversation with Wenton, you know. Now we're we're in New Orleans and uh somehow they didn't ship the music. And uh, he was missing his horn, so he had to borrow his horn from I think Irvin Mayfield. And uh he said, man, as much as I said, man, as much as you play them, catch, they should memorize that stuff. Then Robert and when Sunriver wrote all the music, he wrote the music, and Mike Gurier said, "Don't say nothing, don't say nothing." So, and when you know, I mean, as a, I guess when he first started, he had both the classical thing going, and uh, I first met him at North Sea Jazz Festival with uh, Sam Rivers, you know, and uh. And then I, I've got his brother Delphio, the trombone player, on one of my records, and you know, even Jason, his, his son, is, is. just musical families in New Orleans, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's
1: definitely in the in the water, in the blood, whatever. You know. Oh
0: yeah, it's, I mean we. I just had a gig after the jazz fest down in uh, Kermit Ruffin's joint. Yeah, you know? and. Uh, now, Kermit Ruffin, we go way back. You know, it's like you heard about his, his, his girlfriend getting shot a couple of months back. Yeah, you know, his girlfriend was pregnant; she got shot. Wow. She survived, you know. Oh, that's you know. good. So he's taking over a club. It's called Mother-in-Laws, which is a. It's right up the street where I used to live. Now it's actually going back with the history, Ernie Cato, he had a song that was a hit called Mother-in-law, Mother-in-law. Oh,
1: yeah, I remember that.
0: And he said when she was buried, he would go put some cement with a 24-hour guard so she don't escape. Mm -hmm. So they they weren't feeling each other. So Kermit bought the place, you know. And uh, that's a nice move and, you know, I mean, I first got with Kermit, when I first moved to New Orleans, uh, they wanted a a fanfare, like a, what's called the boussole. you know, where the guests would come in here, a fanfare from Trumpets. So I, I, even though he didn't read music, you know, I don't know if he, but he's, he's, he's got that stuff. It's embryo You know, there's a lot of cats like that.
1: Yeah. Let, let me ask you Michael how, how did you initially uh, connect with cool and the Gang?
0: oh <laughs> that's funny because uh, I was doing a gig called the new new music festival at Carnegie Hall with Sun and we were on the show they had for the opening that was a choir of singers, like maybe 25 humans and nine dogs. So they cue the humans, they all start barking. Then they stop, and then they cue the dogs that, and then they go back to the humans. And that was the first, first time playing with some uh, at uh, Carnegie Hall. So, uh, after you know, Carney Hall, they put your shit on the corner of uh, the street. So we packing up out there. Yeah, after the concert thing. So I see somebody didn't drive to Philly. So I'm staying on the corner. Where's the money? And somebody said, You got to move to Philadelphia to get you know, get paid. And I said, Well, should I know where I can go. And that's when I went to cool the office and just flew to. A month rehearsals in
1: uh,
0: Oprah Gardens in California
1: and then you, do, you, you, the you just call, you cold called or you already knew those guys
0: well Clifford my Clifford Adams is my oldest friend and he played with cool so I had uh, I had recorded with these cats down at uh, Light Sound in Philly years ago so they didn't know about me you know. And Clifford, he pitched it, man, might Mike, Mike keep the horn in his mouth. He's, he's, Spike was missing, and Larry wanted to go in the army, so I got the call. You know, I mean, for years, my name was What's the name? <laughs> yeah.
1: And, uh, the first recording was 78 um, with them. The, um, what's that record called? Um, Everybody's cool, dancing? Like- Everybody's dancing?
0: It was. It was like before, I think, because this, this record's called You Deserve a Break the Day. Get on up and get away. And it hit me to the way Carly's record. It's like making gumbo. They'd stack so much stuff and then take the parts out, didn't work, and take, you know. also Fat Larry would record like that. Fat Larry would be on the way to the studio. How's it going? Well, we're getting ready to do it. <laughs> Okay, I'll be there. (laughs) So, but Cowleese has a unique way of recording. And that's between him and George Brown, the drummer. A lot of the music came that way. Although we had a prodigy of Kirk Williams called Fitz. He was a young kid, you know. Believe me, he's, he's our musical director now hard job doing when you are working with crazy people, but uh, it works.
1: Well, you were on so many hit recordings with them, though, you know, and what a difference. It's like you were kind of living two different musical lives, right? With the Sun Ra and with the Cool McGang pop stuff.
0: Oh, that's true. Because i get out of a limo and go play with with Sun Ra in New York, you know, and it's... This is the best of both worlds. And then we've uh even with the the big old nasty get down, no, not then bare naked ladies. It was uh Kevin Hearn, who was a guitar piano player with them. We've been doing some projects. One my wife Lorana, she wrote the words and sang on it and you know. Actually we I did a gig coming back from Europe and went right to the gig. So. And he's, he's a beautiful person, you know. So, but he looks out. there'll be a. She dropped a record called uh, La issues That's He covers a jazz, Joshua Resmond team uh, called Jazz Crimes. So, she's in the process of doing that right now. And uh, I'm just getting ready to go, go back to York, you know. As I would do this. Sunwell did in London, and then they're going to fly me to uh, Spain, Barcelona, and she continue. And this itinerary runs like I know till December. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of dates to fall through because, you know, the omicron is—it's like working for a virus. So, no, you're not going to do that. But you know, so
1: what? What did you do with yourself during the uh, shutdown of the pandemic?
0: Well, I basically just get my knees together because I, uh, I had double knee replacement, you know. So that's, you know, it's just a, trying to adjust this to this hand that God dealt me. You know? did, you, did you
1: did you did you, pra- did you practice while you were down?
0: Oh yeah, I, I did a couple music projects and I recorded some stuff. It's like it's stuff even during the pandemic. I, I put a little blurb out of what happened during the pandemic, but it, I, believe me, I've been blessed. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, so now, just to make make sure, I make this flight this Sunday go on to San Diego, and then we play the July Fourth thing out there, and come back, and then go up at Foxwoods, and uh, also Maryland, something. You know, it's like four runs, and then I'll be back.
1: Well, before we uh, part ways, I'll definitely remind. Uh, will remind viewers where to go to get all that information and keep up with where you're at and, and your music and everything good like that. Um, hey, Michael, tell us tell us uh, something about playing with Cool and the Gang in the '80s.
0: Well, one thing was play. JT was a, an entertainer's entertainer. So, as far as the visuals and all that stuff. And it was like we had three tractor trailers out. You know, we carry our own stage and kept one in New York. You know, it's and it was, me as a young kid, I thought it would never change. But just the, the business of how it is, you have to change with the times. Even now, Cool's uh, got a little niche. He's, he's developed his own. Le Cool champagne mm. that is doing very well. Got it out of France and um it's in the States too. In fact, I seen one auction they were got twelve thousand dollars for a bottle of champagne. So that's a little side hustle because cool hasn't changed a bit since I've known him. You know, he's always been doing the business. Yeah. I remember back when it's his wife who passed, she wouldn't want him to come out with a, the phone, you know. So then they invented the Bluetooth, he's always on the phone. <laughs> so, I got much respect for him. And then George Brown, you know, I, I, he has been years, you know. So, I mean, I've been out here 50-some years playing with these cats, and there's always been a lot of love. How,
1: how how would you approach uh, doing one of their shows versus a sunrise show? How 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 would it be different for you?
0: Well, one thing with the cool, there's certain songs we have to play, you know. So we got slots like 90 minute shows, 75 minute show. We went to Egypt to play for 20 minutes, you know. So, but with sunrise, every show is different, you know. And before Sun passed, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, after you had the second stroke, he was, he played a bridge for seven and a half beats and it was changed. But I said, well, now this cat's a master musician. He wants to go early, so it expanded your ears because you you have to play what you hear. You know, my son said, play what you don't know, martial but what you hear and you have to be able to emulate what you hear same time you hear so years of practicing that you know because he might call anything you yeah. know and Marshall he's double Gemini too so the tradition continues
1: you must have played some very large venues with calling the game
0: oh yeah yeah we we did a one that we did in Nairobi, it this big signs that said, "It's nice to know when you will die from the AIDS." Yeah, so that's you know, the Nairobi handshake. Girl, just comes up and grabs your crotch. Say hello, and yeah. they got ro- roving gangs of kids machetes. You know, it's, mm. so but yeah. but
1: the music is universal. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Especially going you know, to Japan, you're seeing people they can't speak English, but sing all the songs. Sometimes get up and start doing the routines. and you know. So it's definitely an uh, impact, the cool in the gang. You know,
1: it's it's
0: undeniable.
1: Do, do you have any personal preference? Like, you know, in terms of the material, like with Cool in the Gang, do you prefer playing... Some of the older stuff, you know, like Jungle Boogie and, you know, more, well, of j- more of the jazzier funk, or do you prefer playing more of the more recent pop, or more pop stuff?
0: Well, it's basically the, like Jungle Boogie, Open Sesame. We we do the hits, you know. And I've been working on a, a tribute to colleagues and DT and Charles. And just to go through some of the stuff that was popular, but we don't play anymore, you know. So colleagues wrote a lot of songs. So did George, you know. But it's, it's a humongous, Mr. Gigantore project, you know. Especially when I'm not here, you know.
1: I love so some, I of, that, some of that older stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I've, I've spoken to colleagues' wife and uh, DT's wife and Cool's kids about, you know, do so they know about the. What's going on with it? But, but until I really take some time out to sit down and really plan and you do all that, you know.
1: Do you get any solo spots when you play with them? Soar, solo spots.
0: Yeah, I get a solo on Jumbo Boogie. You know, so that's one song. Strabo gets one on. Uh... Yeah, I can really get down on it so somebody, I, I don't know that because playing, you know, the way I, I you got to hear the sound, you know, it's it's very challenging, you know, just to keep subs. So I am gonna jump off the tour. I got Robbie Best, tremor player. He played with Michael Jackson and us, us, and he's out with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He's he's gonna self, self sub for me. When I go to London to play with Sun Ra, so it's two dates and a, and he's a, he's a bad <laughs> he's a great, dude. but I play you know playing with Spike and with Skip and you know it's uh, how I play I, with, I, Larry Giddens he's also from Jersey. How was
1: how was <laughs> the show? How are the shows different now? You know after Sun Ra left us, you know. How did the shows change, or did they not change that much?
0: Well, Noel's uh, calling a lot of songs. You know, I'm really not there rehearsing the way I should do, but uh, it's whatever. You just got to be up. I mean, I got enough music here. So it's a challenge. I got to brush up on a lot of stuff, but uh, every show is different.
1: But, I mean, Sun Ra uh, passed away in, like, 93. Um so if you saw the orchestra in the eighties versus seeing them you know in the two thousands, how is it different, do you think? Well,
0: it's just there's a lot of personalities that are not there, you know, but the music goes on. James Stewart, he's been playing tenor and uh he's he's really got his stuff going on and uh there's a we got another alto player. We got strong trombone section. You know, we got and then Noel he's playing baritone. You got singers. You know, it's like there's a lot
1: of stuff going on. Yeah. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends and become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon. Or consider donating at funkenslift.net. Thank you very much.